This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, and welcome to the 15th edition of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you've taken the time to either view or listen uh, to the podcast today. We appreciate all those uh, who have tuned in or listened in to the podcast, and uh, we pray that uh, the conversations uh, you have found to be interesting and informative and helpful uh, to you. I am honored and privileged today uh, to have uh, as my guest Pastor Tommy N. Gibson, Jr., pastor of the Donaldson Chapel uh, Baptist Church of Baton Rouge. Uh, pastor Gibson, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us uh, in the Thrive Podcast. You're very much welcome. Talk to us about Tommy Gibson, because Tommy Gibson has a very rich background. For those who do not know, uh, Pastor Gibson uh, at one time in his life was a police officer with the Baton Rouge Police Department, and we're going to talk about police reform uh, hopefully before this podcast is over. Uh, Pastor Gibson is a practicing attorney. Uh, here in Baton Rouge, as well as pastor of the Donaldson Chapel Baptist Church, uh, where he has served now for almost 21 years, and he does an outstanding job there. Tell us about Pastor Tommy Gibson. Uh, jack of all trades, the master of none, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, a diversified uh, uh, background, I, I find uh, more commonality in them than most people that it's uh, all of it involves uh, uh, serving the, the public and serving people and serving God's people and it has been a, a, a blessing to uh, to have those type of uh, experiences and uh, God has been allowed me to to use them to uh, hopefully maximize the potential of others more than myself well Start with uh, police department. Uh, you, you served how many years in the in the Baton Rouge Police Department? Ten years. Ten years. Talk about your experience with the police department. Well, I, I started with the Baton Rouge City Police Department in 1974 as a cadet. I worked in the uh, office for one year. Uh, I spent a a very uh, short time in uniform patrol, and in fact. Uh, my training officer was Warren Broussard, the uh, officer who was uh, uh, murdered uh, some years ago. And then I uh, spent the remainder of my time in the uh, criminal division. Uh, and the unit I was in, uh, it started out as a, a burglary unit and evolved to a street crime unit. And uh, we, we dealt with felony crimes, primarily burglaries, but uh, we were plainclothes investigators, and so it was a uh, it was a unique a, a experience. Well, in that you have 
the experience of actually being a police officer. The rest of us uh, are, are kind of like spectators at a football game. You know, if, if, if you've never played and if you've never coached, uh, all you have is uh, a, a wild opinion about how the game ought to go. For those of us who have never served in the police department, and yet we look at what's going on uh, with regard to Baton Rouge Police Department today, uh, not simply out in Sterling, but uh, all of these uh, efforts to uh, engage in police reform uh, that are ongoing within our community have been going on for uh, several years now. As someone who served in the police department, you can provide a unique perspective on that. What, what are your thoughts regarding that? Well, I, I think the movement, a police reform movement is a national movement, and Baton Rouge is not a, a exempt from the issues that uh, uh, confront uh, police reform and general criminal justice reform altogether. I think uh, culturally, we, we have a, a mythical understanding of what police work is uh, with the media uh, and the, uh, how police work evolved uh, over the la uh, last uh, half century uh, and before uh, 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 police officers uh, nationwide, particularly here, uh, in most cases are vastly underpaid and was, they were viewed uh, not much better than uh, uh, a, a, a lowly laborer. So, uh, and Baton Rouge is not exempt to that. Uh, proportionally, the police officers make today the same thing I made 30 years ago. Right. Uh, they're, 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 they have not been uh, uh, given a, a, a raise sufficiently to the type of work they perform. For, for what Baton Rouge pay for police officers, Baton Rouge have an excellent police department for what they pay. Now, <laughs> with, 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 that, with that said, because uh, many of the officers who come to the department come to, it out, to the department out of a, a passionate desire to, uh, uh, to serve. Uh, however, uh, culturally, the, the police department, particularly in the South, has been used uh, uh, used to promote the values of a Southern culture and which which uh, exasperates the uh, reform efforts here. Uh, my uh, the, the issue with the police department is not about individual officers, it's about the culture, mm -hmm. uh, the understanding the culture of the uh, police department. And so uh, uh, reform is necessary. The things that are going on now are not new. Uh, for many decades, Baton Rouge did not have uh, African-American police officers, did not have uh, women, and uh, only recently have you been getting, the uh, last 15, 20 years, a number of, uh, of, of officers. So the, the racial problems uh, within the culture is highlighted within a police, de a police department. And I think that uh, re reform is necessary. In uh, a true understanding of, of community policing, uh, so often, uh, particularly in Baton Rouge, the, uh, the police policies and procedures have been set for a top-down situation, where the, the police department say, "This is how we going to police, and we're going to tell y'all how we're going to police," mm -hmm. and the community doesn't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. That is from the uh, deployment of uh, human resources and so forth. 
I see where the uh, new chief, uh, Murphy Paul, was making some changes uh, in the paper today about how accident calls were handled. Mm-hmm. And in, in my years of police work, I, I wonder why the traffic didn't write more traffic accidents, you know. <laughs> I always wondered about that. So uh, uh, the, 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 the foundation and the anchor of a police department is your uniform patrol division. Uh, with our vast geographical area that we must cover, uh, you must have enough officers out out there to uh, patrol and not occupy, uh, to interact with the uh, community and, and so forth. So, uh, and an understanding that the police department cannot solve all of the social problems uh, within a community. Mm-hmm. So. Well, let, let, let's focus in a little bit more on uh, the idea of reform and community policing. When when, when the Sterling uh, situation arose uh, almost two years ago, uh, you were one of the first people that I spoke with uh, with regard to police procedure and how that was carried out in the Sterling uh, case and that led to uh, prolonged conversations, protracted conversations about uh, police reform and and what it should look like and what community policing should look like. Really and truly, uh, you educated me on things that I really had no knowledge about. And one of the things that you pointed out uh, is that the public's perception of community policing. Uh, is vastly different from what community policing is supposed to or is intended to be. Can you expand on that? Well, in, in regards to community policing, that involves your, your resources and uh, how you utilize your resources and what input the community has in it. Uh, community policing is, is, is not having a four or five person division that go out and play basketball with folks and, and speak at civic associations. That's public relations. Mm-hmm. That's public relations. But uh, uh, having uh, every division within your uh, department uh, involved uh, uh, in the community, uh, uh, solving problems uh, uh, in neighborhoods. We don't live by zip codes. We, we live by... Uh, that right where we are having this podcast, this is a neighborhood. Yes. This is a neighborhood. It should be some officers that know this neighborhood uh, uh, on, on an intimate basis. And that includes your uh, criminal uh, division. Uh, you uh, uh, engage one of the most controversial uh, decisions or uh, uh, principles in community place. Policemen, uh, policing is what involvement the community have, should have in uh, officer discipline. Mm-hmm. And, and and that is a, a, a part. On the news last night, uh, they had a situation where an officer had been fired, civil service brought him back, now he's on yeah. the civil service board. That's an integrity problem. Yeah. That's an integrity problem, and it's, it's no mechanism to, 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 to deal uh, with that within the... Uh, with, within the setup uh, of the structure uh, of civil service and, and so forth. So so then uh, how is something like that dealt with? Is that a state legislature situation or 
what 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 would you think would be the way to respond to that? The short answer, I, I, I don't know. I suspect it would be a legislative uh, uh, issue and a, a city council uh, uh, issue. Uh, but if, if it's civil service, fire and municipal police uh, civil service, I, I suspect that it would be through the uh, uh, legislature. And there are the community until recently with criminal justice reform, the community had very little involvement in legislative efforts uh, regarding uh, police and corrections and so forth, but uh, that would have to be taken care of. And once it's at the people to uh, speak up, it's got to be more than a, a, a five-minute news clip, mm-hmm. and, and then it's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, I, I, but I, I, I have observed it to change over the years, but uh, community uh, policemen, it, it involves the police and the community. Uh, and, and folks see community policing as a, a do-gooder type thing. Uh, uh, police work is tough work. It still, it still involves protecting the public. It still involves somebody who breaks crime must go to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's what the com- community uh, must understand. And the officers must be, be involved in the community on a, uh, a realistic basis. I don't—we've um, I, I, all had this conversation. Uh, I believe in, in, in incentives for to— get officers to, to live in the city and in the parish because right. officers, just like everybody else, they, they, they want a, a, a nice community. They want to go uh, be able to send their kids to certain schools. So right. uh, 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 it's just not a one-size-fit-all so, so solution. But I think with incentives and upping the standards and the pay uh, would require, would, would help uh, alleviate that problem. One of one of the things that I have said uh, again since uh, the Sterling situation and uh, my response with regard to the need for police reform, and you and I have had this conversation, but I I want the the podcast audience to have the opportunity to to know what we have talked about. I have problems with Baton Rouge police officers who live outside of the parish, uh, some as far away as Mississippi. Uh, I have problems with police officers being able to carry uh, Baton Rouge police vehicles back and forth uh, to their residences outside the city. I don't see how you can uh, say that I have a love for a community in which I don't reside. Uh, uh, And and, and I I recognize that people... uh, in the private sector, have a right to live wherever they want to live, that we have bedroom communities uh, that exist outside of East Baton Rouge Parish where a large number of people have chosen to live. But I do think that if you are a public servant, uh, which I think police officers are, uh, that it changes the dynamic a little bit. You can't run for office. You can't run for Metro Council or for school board and not live within the district that you're seeking to serve in, in a similar fashion, and I know that it's it's not exactly apples to apples, but in a similar fashion, I just think that police officers ought to live in the community uh, that they serve. Well, I, I don't. I think 
I'll repeat again. I think officers have a right to live and raise their families and just like anyone else. We talk about the police department, but DPW, state government, if you get on the interstate at 5 o'clock, uh, those are not all just police officers exiting Baton Rouge. Those are uh, uh, clerk typists and, and, and state workers uh, mm -hmm. are all going to the surrounding par parishes. And mm -hmm. so police officers are, are no different, but I, I think they, that the officers should have an intimate relationship with the uh, uh, community they work, particularly uh, where they're assigned to, uh, to be, uh, you can be involved in the community without uh, residing in the community. And then you follow the money on, on that. You, you don't give somebody a pay raise, but you give them a car. You know, so, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and claim that that helps uh, with enforcement, and, and I think you're perfectly right as far as as cars going further out to Hammond and places like that. It it, it doesn't uh, reduce crime in in, in in Baton Rouge, but the I, I think it's I don't know for sure, but I suspect that the 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 buying all those vehicles and giving every officer a car uh, is is a sort of a a, a pay raise type thing because. If you notice right in this community, if you see, you might look down the street and see five cars at a, at a house. That right. means that's five officers because right. each officer has a car. <laughs> you probably only take two to handle the car. Right. Or, or you constantly see uh, in the city, you see three or four cars following one another, you know, right. uh, because, uh, and let's say that, well, that increases response time and things. Now, not if you're spending all your time following one another all over the city. It's usually, you know, that's me. I, may, I might be wrong, and some of them here might, might get mad at me, but I, I, I always had a, had a problem with that, you know, uh, uh, because uh, I think— uh, I, I don't think it would ever come that you would— I think other cities have tried it. I, I think it would uh, hamper recruiting, but— but I think if you have true, pol true uh, community policing uh, where uh, the officers, the detectives, and the research department all are involved in the community, where you meet with the community and decide what the uh, needs is, you interrelate with the other social uh, uh, agencies uh, in the city, and, uh, and you, you have enough officers in that community that to, to know that community, um, and you always hear folks get out the car. Baton Rouge is not like New York where you walk beats mm -hmm. and so forth. It's, you cover a lot, a lot of territory. Right. So uh, I think it requires rezoning some of the uh, the districts uh, uh, and having officers working in a smaller area and to, to really uh, get to, to know the folk uh, in the community. And then um, you have to deal with the racial divide. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with the racial divide. Uh, it takes, um, I suspect some officers, if they're white, they get a culture shock. Um, and uh, when you're assigned to, and they grow out of it. They learn to deal with the, the, the culture. But uh, uh, just over the time, you cannot police afraid of the poke you, you decide to protect. Right. 
Um, You know, folk may get mad about this. We always talked about procedures. Uh, What I suspected before they showed the, you know, I I, I know uh, Salomone's father Mm -hmm. and and, and mother, nice, nice guy, but... He didn't do anything right, you know. Uh, he, he didn't do anything right, yes. uh, and 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 to say that I'm thrown off because I believe that I've disarmed people. I've fought. I've rolled in the ground with yes. people. You don't have to do that. You know, it's a way to do it. And it's a, everybody's differently, but it's a right way and it's a wrong way. Um, in my opinion, it appeared that Lake had the situation under control. You know, uh, appeared that way to me also. So, um, uh, and all officers who get angry or say you, to say you a traitor because you believe, I believe that when I was there. You yeah. know, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, so you have been amazingly consistent in, uh, yeah. o- over the span. Every time this topic comes up, uh, and by the way. Again, for those who, who don't know, Tommy and I are very good friends, and, and, and we uh, spend a lot of time together. We, we eat lunch together once a week, and we solve all the problems of the world while we're eating lunch. And you have been amazingly consistent in your view with regard to police reform, and that was before the Sterling situation happened, and you've been consistent about it afterward. I, I didn't want to take up the whole time that we're together just talking about that, but you bring a unique perspective in that you have actually served Mm -hmm. in the police force. From the Baton Rouge Police Department, you uh, decided that uh, you wanted to become a lawyer, and you went to law school, and you became a lawyer, and and you are a practicing attorney uh, here in the city of Baton Rouge. How does your responsibilities, your duties... Uh, as an attorney, uh, affect your uh, responsibilities and duties as a pastor in this community. You're, you're, you're what people commonly label as bivocational. You serve as pastor of Donaldson Chapel Baptist Church, but you're also a practicing attorney. Does one play a role or, or have an impact in your perspective on the other? Uh, not at this stage uh, uh, of the game. At 63 years old, you, you 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 get something that you didn't have 30, 40 years ago, and that's uh, a wisdom. Uh, for, <laughs> first of all, you're a pastor, but you're a child of God. You're Chris, so you, you 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 your life should reflect Jesus, uh, regardless what whatever role you're in. Uh, but uh, it becomes a a time management. Uh, issue uh, uh, the, the size of my uh, congregation uh, allows me uh, a significant uh, enough time to uh, the, the practice of, uh, of law but it, it is a challenge and yet you're blessed to have help within the uh, uh, congregation uh, but one of the things uh, just like we were talking about with police with just money you know I have to pay my bills so right. you know I have to uh, uh, you know pastors have to retire uh, yes. pastors have children and grandchildren and yes. wives and uh, all of those things uh, so uh, 
uh, I did not practice law for uh, eight or nine or ten years, and it w was full time. Uh, but it reached a stage in my life that I had to deal with some uh, other issues, and uh, I said I was uh, that the Lord blessed me um, uh, with the law license and a, and a, and a gift. So I, I, I was just blessed that I had something else I can do. But both of them, uh, you deal uh, with people. You deal mm -hmm. with people, so it. it uh, it's not the ethical challenge that people would would, would think, uh, because you you have centers in your practice, and you have centers in the church. Yes, sir. And they're very they're they're very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. They're very, very very similar. And so people say, well, how do you practice criminal uh, defense law and, and family law? Say so centers in the church, centers in. The, in in the uh, 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 community, and, and lawyers represent people. Mm -hmm. You know, lawyers don't commit the crime. Uh, you know, I, I, I do believe we we have a system uh, that needs a lot of uh, reform for us, our, our justice system. But it's the it's the best going. Mm -hmm. So uh, I do believe uh, in the the, the the system, and and it's, it's just not. Uh, police work. Uh, as a pastor, I've always been active uh, uh, in the community uh, uh, with housing and education and right. other other endeavors. So, uh, and I think more pastors should be involved uh, in, in the community. For, for Jesus was uh, involved in, uh, in the community. Uh, so, I totally agree. Uh, <laughs> Going back to, to, to what you were saying about uh, needing to, to pay your bills, one of the uh, disappointments, I guess, is, is, is an appropriate way of putting it, uh, uh, that I have uh, had over the, the span of years that I have been in the pastorate now, uh, 32 years pastoring uh, black folk, um, is that... By and large, I heard you say earlier that uh, in, 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 in percentages, uh, Baton Rouge police officers are making about the same now as they were making when you were on the force 40 years ago. Uh, Percentage-wise, proportionately, uh, African-American churches are doing about as much in the way of uh, providing full-time uh, care uh, for their pastors now as they were doing 40 years ago. I, I can't go back 40 years, but I can certainly go back 32 years. Uh, and, and, and a whole lot about that has not changed. Uh, churches want to uh, put forth the idea that they are full-time churches and have full-time uh, uh, pastors. Uh, but when when you get down to the X's and O's of what it means to care for a full-time pastor, which includes not just a salary, but uh, health insurance benefits and life insurance benefits and disability benefits and retirement packages and and things of that sort, not 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 to even mention uh, things that others might consider to be luxuries, uh, car allowances and clothing allowances and travel and things. That, I'm just talking about the nuts and bolts of basic care uh, for a pastor that you are calling to full-time ministry. Uh, very few, uh, less than 10%, uh, perhaps even less than 5% of African-American churches in this community 
actually provide that kind of care. And I don't see that changing anytime in the near future. Uh, what are pastors supposed to, those young, young pastors who are coming out, uh, young men and women uh, who have been called by God and have prepared themselves and trained uh, themselves, gone to seminary uh, and, and are ready to devote themselves to a career of service uh, to a congregation. And then they, they, they are confronted with the reality that uh, the churches to which they are called are the churches that are considering extending the call to them while they profess to be full-time churches with full-time uh, compensation, truly are not. What, what does that say about the state of the church in the year 2018, in your opinion? Well, it, some, you're talking about the African-American church in general and particularly the predominantly African-American churches in Baton Rouge. Yeah. I think it's economics. I, I think it's strictly economics. Uh, uh, I, I, I am blessed to serve as pastor of the church I grew up in. Right. So uh, for all practical personal purposes, I've been there all my life. And, and you do see the church somewhat differently once you become the pastor and uh, you're so involved in the lives of the folk you over time you know you learn their all their business and uh, I, 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 I in my personal situation and because of your father uh, I think they are providing for me as best that they can. Sure. And uh, some, as a whole, the, the, the money is, is, is just not them. Most of our members are somebody's employee. And, uh, you know, we're in a, a poverty-ridden uh, city here in, in Baton Rouge, mm -hmm. uh, uh, limited op opportunities in certain ways. So I think that it would, the status quo will remain for some time. I think young pastors uh, must have a realistic expectation uh, uh, in entering the ministry. And as we often uh, cared about how idealistic we were 20 and 30, 30 years ago, uh, and I think that in some cases, we, we 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 were not the norm. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I need to watch how I say this. We we <laughs> we, we actually wanted to serve. You know, I, I, we 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 didn't have. I don't think we ever had any goals about becoming rich. No. Uh, and so I think you have to have realistic expectations. At the same time, you have to realize how you, how you're going to take care of of your family and things. Go to the next episode to hear part two of this podcast.